I mean, the way Paul used his position to persecute the church was clearly a wrong use of his privilege and power. But we can have privileges and position and power and prestige today, can't we? And it's not necessarily wrong. I mean, we may have a position in a workplace. We have authority in the workplace. And to some extent, because of that authority, we have power that we can use. Uh, we may have the sort of job that's looked up to with some kind of prestige. All sorts of jobs that are looked up to in that kind of way. And all of us, all of us have privilege in just living in this country, do we not? I mean, what a privilege it is, is we may complain about this country, we may see all the faults of this country, and of course, moaning is a, is a, a, a British sport, is it not? But the fact of the matter is, we have tremendous privilege. We meet here tonight without any threat of being arrested and called off to prison. Uh, we can go out on the streets and make Jesus known. Sometimes I see in the Christian press things that are worrying about how preachers have been arrested and the way they've been dealt with. But I have to say in Walthamstow we have a weekly book table. We go out, we give out tracts, we engage people in conversation if they're willing to stop. We've never been hindered at all in any of that. The privileges that we have. And I guess we might add into this list privilege, privilege position, power, prestige... Well, pleasure, we live in an age that has pleasure at, it, at the heart of it, do we not? And again, there are, there are many pleasures that is fine, is it not? Indeed, they're gifts from God that he has freely given us to enjoy. And of course, there are possessions, just to add two more Ps. The problem is, when those things are all we have in life, when they are an end in themselves, it is the content of what our life is. That's when the problem becomes. And I just have a feeling in this day and age that the kind of people generally, the kind of culture we live in is somehow that you know, kind of God owes us something. So the default position of the human heart is, well, you know, if there is a God, well, I'm all right. I'm a pretty good guy or a pretty good woman. God will accept me. It's as though God owes us something. Well, that's what Paul had. That's what Saul had, should I say. Well, what was Paul's verdict on Saul and what he had? Well, we get it there in verse 7. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All of those things that he once had, he's now come to see they are utter rubbish. They mean nothing. All the gain that he had, he's now, he's willing to lose it all. Because he's got something far better. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jack Higgins was an author. He died in uh, uh, 2022, aged 92. Not a Christian, as far as I know. 
he wrote novels, thrillers, spy novels. One that you may have heard of is The Eagle Has Landed. And once he was asked what he wished that someone had told him when he was younger. Uh, and this is a man who kind of had everything. He was very rich. He had so, many, so much money, he, he kept his cash in an offshore bank somewhere. And this is what he said. He said, I wish someone had told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing in this life of itself that is worth anything. You may know Jim Elliot of Jim Elliot, the a missionary who died January 1956 in Ecuador, killed by um, the people that he was seeking to reach out with the gospel, together with some others who were with him. But previously, he had said this, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. And whatever we have in this life, privilege, position, power, prestige, pleasure, possession, we can't keep it. It will all one day disappear. Certainly when we die. And there's only one thing that we cannot lose. And that is the salvation that there is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that can last forever. Uh, just some other scriptures to kind of support uh, this, this thought. You know, everything is rubbish compared with Jesus. Uh, you know, Peter, in John chapter 6 and verse 68, the whole gaggle of people have left the Lord Jesus. And, you know, and Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Isn't that great? You know, there are some times when I felt like giving up in the Christian life. You know, as a pastor, feeling I was just getting nowhere. We want things today, don't we? We want things yesterday. We have to be a bit more patient. Sometimes I felt like giving up. And one of the things that kept me was, was this, this saying of Jesus. Okay, if I give up, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What, what am I going to put my life into? It's rubbish. Compared with Jesus, it's rubbish. And that's something that has kept me uh, going. The singer Sinead O'Connor, who uh, died recently sang the song didn't she there's nothing that compares to you because that's a love song uh, when, I, when I took some children to school every day at secondary school uh, they, they liked to listen to Capital Radio and this was regularly regularly uh, there at that time uh, Sinead O'Connor belting out nothing compares to you well it's certainly true of Jesus isn't it nothing compares with him and kind of once that's been born into our hearts, the Lord's kind of left us no options. Everything else is rubbish. Could bear with him. Remember Jesus also said, do not labour for the food that spoils. 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has poured, has placed his seal of approval. Do not work for food and uh, for, for food that spoils. Someone sharing this morning about Jesus being our load bearer, and she said that if she didn't have that, her life would collapse. That's true. People who do not have Jesus, their life will one day collapse. The food that they're after, one day it will spoil. It will collapse. It will be nothing. What we need is the food of eternal life which only Jesus can give us. And I can't resist this one final verse as well along these lines. You know, Jesus said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Well, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The whole world or salvation? The salvation of your soul. You're not after the lottery tickets, are you, to win a fortune? Please don't tell me that there are Christians running after lottery tickets as though winning an umpteen million pounds is going to make their life so much better. It's rubbish. It's Jesus we need. Jesus. So that was Paul's verdict on Saul. Well, what was it that Paul had? What was it that Paul had? What was it that we can have instead of the rubbish of the world? What are we getting there in verse uh, in verse 7, if I get myself back into, Philipp- uh, into Philippians chapter 3, verse uh, 7, he says this. Uh, Whatever I gain, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Here it is, very simply. What was it he had? It was knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's that personal relationship with Jesus that Ed was talking about earlier. That's what he had. That was the surpassing worth of what he had. Knowing Jesus. Having a relationship with him. But not just Jesus, but Christ Jesus, my Lord. Jesus is in heaven. At the right hand of God. He is the heavenly Lord. We were thinking about that this morning. And that is who our relationship is with. The Lord Jesus Christ. With all authority in heaven and upon earth. There on our behalf. So it's not about knowing doctrine. Now don't get me wrong. Doctrine is important. You know, we need right doctrine so that we're getting the right Jesus. And there are lots of other Jesuses in this world that are being preached. So we need, we need right doctrine. And indeed, as we go on in the Christian life, you know, we need doctrine. But it's not the doctrine that saves us. As good and as important that is, it's not the doctrine, it's Jesus, the very person of Jesus. It's him, it's encountering him that saves us through what he did upon the cross. And it's knowing, is it not, in that personal sense, Lord Jesus, you died for me. My sins, 
Now, now the Apostle Paul elsewhere calls himself the worst of sinners. And in a sense, that is true because he tried to wipe out the church. That's true. We're not sinners like that. But, you see, I, I don't know, I don't feel guilty about Paul or Saul's sin. I don't feel guilty about your sin. The sin that's in my conscience is my sin. So there is a sense in which I can say I am the worst of sinners because I know the conviction of that sin like I know no other sin. Christ died for me. Shed his blood for me. Finished the work of paying the price of my sin when he died upon that cross. How wonderful. But it's not just my sin. Uh, the Paul goes on here in the verse but whatever gain I had accounted lost for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything of lo as, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my life for his sake I have lost suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order they may be found Christ and found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ it's not just about having our sin dealt with is it just having our sin dealt with isn't enough for salvation it's not enough just to be innocent before God we need to be positively in the right before God I mean God is holy he needs people with a uh, he's only going to accept those that are that are righteous and we can't produce that righteousness but Jesus did. And when we put our trust in him, we have a righteousness that is from Christ through faith. So that we're not just cleansed with sin. We're clothed in righteousness. You see, that's the full salvation. The negative dealt with, cleansed from sin. But the positive also dealt with, clothed in righteousness. We sang earlier, didn't we, in King... King uh, King of Kings, Majesty, it has that line in royal robes, I don't deserve. And what, I don't want to be impertinent or, or be talking down to you, but what are those royal robes? Do we imagine that's some kind of heavenly fashion that the Lord gives to us? Well, no, no it's, it's the robes of righteousness, of Christ, with which we're clothed. And then in that we can serve his majesty. But notice that what Paul says is this. He says this. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I mean, he's a Christian. But he's still saying, I want to know Christ. In other words, I want my relationship with him to grow. I want to grow in knowing him better. In being more perfectly submissive to him. In being more fruitful in serving him. He wants to know Christ more fully. He's, he's almost like a dog, you know, straining at the leash. I want to know more. Are you like that? Am I like that? The old hymn says, more about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. So this is the first thing that Paul had, knowing Christ personally. 
The next thing we read is in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. So it's about what he had was knowing Christ's power. Now, now we have become Christians, we're in a new family. Previously, we were in Adam's family. And we inherited that nature from Adam, one of total rebellion against God himself. But now we're in Jesus. And now we're in a new family. And so we've got a new family life that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're given the spirit of Christ to live, to beat within our own hearts. Because Christ is risen from the dead. And the power of the risen Christ by the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to raise us up from a godless life to a holy life. It's pictured in baptism. We were thinking about that this morning. We, we, in baptism, the old life is buried. It's a symbol. It's a picture. It's buried. It goes under the water. It's dead. It's dealt with. And then we come out, out of the water, a picture of resurrection, joined to Christ, in union with Christ, the resurrected Lord. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything without Jesus. We need power to love God, to love each other, to love a lost world. And it's available in Christ and through Christ. Isn't that wonderful? So it's about knowing Christ personally. It's about knowing Christ's power. And then he says this in verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Have you ever wanted that? To be able to participate in the sufferings of Christ? This is one of the things, the blessings that we have as a Christian. This is what Paul is talking about. Well, clearly it doesn't mean taking part in the atoning work of Christ's sufferings. It can't mean that. That's all down to Jesus. But Jesus was despised. And he was rejected. He was opposed. He was persecuted. Christians suffer those things, do they not? And we shouldn't draw back from those things coming upon us because when they come upon us it's a kind of evidence that we're Christ's because we are prepared to be despised to be rejected to be opposed to be belittled and persecuted although we look at our brothers and sisters abroad and we just know how much more they are persecuted than we are in our own country but that was, that's the next thing, knowing Christ's power, knowing, uh, knowing Christ's power and then knowing a participation in his sufferings. Knowing Christ's passion, if you like, within our own hearts. And then finally, he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him. It's about knowing Christ's purpose. And Christ's purpose for our lives is that eventually 
One day we will become like him. To be like Jesus. Is that the great longing of your heart? Is that the great longing of my heart? I guess sometimes we're full of that. Oh, we long to be like Jesus. And other times maybe that wanes within us and we're overwhelmed with the issues of everyday life. Oh, but we, we need to know this. Oh, this longing to be like him. That's what Christ's purpose is for us, to be like him. And one day we will. John tells us that when we see him, we shall be like him. Paul here talks about somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We look forward, do we not, to that eternal home that is going to be ours. Where our bodies will be resurrected back to newness of life for all eternity. And we will have bodies that will be fit to look at Jesus and the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And when that happens, we will be like him. But until that, we will want to be like him here and now. May that be so for you and me. So this is what Paul had. He had knowing Christ personally. He had knowing Christ's power. He had knowing Christ's passion. And he had knowing Christ's purposes. So as we... Uh, come to a close we read earlier we sang earlier my richest gain I count as loss and poor contempt on all my pride we're confessing there that our pride our sinfulness uh, if we're a Christian we will know that we are hell-deserving sinners. We're hell-deserving sinners. But we also know, as Christians, if we are Christians, that by grace, through faith, in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we are forgiven. We're no longer heading for wrath. We're heading for heaven. And right now, we're children of grace. Do you know that? Is that where you are this evening? Because if not, then you are in dire straits. You are just a heartbeat away from a lost eternity. Oh, come to Jesus. Accept him as your Lord and your saviour and if you already know that this evening well we need to be constantly renewed do we not in this sense of, of, the, of, the, of the Lord's worth the surpassing worth of Jesus I'm thankful to this thought from, from John Piper he comments on Psalm 51 you know that that psalm is Paul's prayer really following his adultery with Bathsheba and here he, he, he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of salvation. And Piper notices, says this, he, he doesn't pray about his sin, doesn't he? He doesn't say, Lord, help me, give me strength to turn my eyes away. He doesn't pray any of that sort of stuff that you might have thought he would pray after that sin. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pray those things. But what 
Piper was saying is that what what had happened to David was he'd lost sight of the joy of salvation. And when we lose that sense of the joy of salvation, then we become vulnerable to taking the pleasures and the joys of this world. So what will most protect us is being born into our hearts by the Spirit, the joy of salvation, the surpassing worth of Jesus. When we have that, everything else is rubbish. And it will be a protection to us in the walk with our Lord. So in a moment, we're going to sing, All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I've counted loss. Spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There is no greater thing. If you're not a Christian, sing this to the Lord that you want to know him. If you are a Christian, sing this to renew and commit yourself afresh to serving him. And knowing his surpassing worth. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, as we said at the beginning, it is truth to our souls. And you know each one of us as we are bowed before you. Father, we can put on a, a face towards each other that is a false face, faith. A, a false face. But Lord, you see all through that. You know our hearts as they truly are before you. Father, if we're in need of your saving power. Oh Lord, speak that word to us by your spirit that wakes the sleeper, wakes the dead, and makes us alive to your salvation. And Father, for those of us that would know, say that we are your people, Father God, we would long to be more like Jesus. We know that we're far from it yet. Lord God, we pray that these will be the greatest longings and desires of our hearts, far above everything else. Lord, bless you for all that we have in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.